0: the coaches network bringing the game together
1: hey guys you're now listening to the coaches network podcast a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development my name is coach yas and i'm with a licensed football coach coach developer and content creator i'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys their life lessons and how you can make an impact enjoy mm-hmm. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Today I've got with me Richard Bill. Morning Richard, how are you mate?
2: Morning Yes. I'm, I'm all good, thank you. Brilliant. How are
1: you? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you again for being here this morning. Rich, just to no start, um, for those that aren't familiar with who you are or some of the things that you've been through uh, over the last 15, 20 years in football, maybe longer now, um, would you mind just giving us a bit of a backdrop about who you are and what you do, right?
2: Yep, yeah, sure. Sure. Um... My name's Richard Beale. Yeah, I uh, as a coach. I joined Birmingham as as a part-time coach in 2001, a long time ago now. Um, and yeah, I, I, I eventually got offered a full-time job there. Um, I went in initially as a part-time academy coach, as I said, um, but then full-time as as the football education officer and um, under-14 coach full-time. And uh, when I was 30. So how many years ago is that now? 11 years ago. Um, Alex McLeish asked me to take on the role of the reserve team manager job at the time. Um, so I, did, I did, did that for a number of years, had a fantastic time at Birmingham, really, really enjoyed my time there. 16 years in total um, and then and then made a change um, in 2018 and um, that that was to go to the big rivals at Aston Villa. Um, Mark Harrison went in as the academy manager and gave me a call, which I was really flattered about and... Uh, I went and joined Aston Villa as youth team manager. only um, ended, ended up doing that for a year. I got a phone call from a, a good friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Shan, who was going at Solihull Moores as first team manager. And he asked me to be, be, be his assistant manager. I just thought it's too much of an opportunity to turn down and a chance to step into first team football and give that a try. And uh, that's where I am currently.
1: Brilliant. You know, so you talked there in you know, a very brief about what's probably about 15, 20 years there, really. <laughs> yeah. um, so thank you for that quick one, you know, Just curious, you know, just... Uh, in terms of obviously your current role working out over at Sully Uh we'll get to that eventually. But just want to take you right back to the start of all of this journey. Um, okay. Where did that begin? for you, you know, in terms of where did you really pick up that passion for coaching and realize that this is something that you want to, I guess, take forward and pursue as a career?
2: Uh, definitely, definitely. As, as 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 a boy growing up playing football, I mean, I I, I played, you know. Uh, Conference and Conference North level till I was 30. When I got off of that reserve team, manager job, I just thought I need to, you know, put, put, put playing on the back burner now and really have a go at making this my career as a coach. And uh, before that, I played three or four hundred games, you know, for the likes of uh, Solihull Moores. I played for Telford, uh, Stafford Rangers, Leamington. So, um, you know, good semi-pro clubs over here. I also had a stint over in America playing uh, professionally, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, but, but always I was a, a bit of a thinking player and I enjoyed the tactical side of the game and um, watching young players come through and trying to help them throughout my career. And um, I definitely knew that I wanted to be a coach from, from sort of a, a, an early age. Where I suppose the, the first coaching qualification I got, which was the, um, the coaching certificate, I had really, really good coaches on there, really good guys that are probably mentors for me to this day. A guy called Stuart Hall and a guy called Mark Fogarty. And they really inspired a love of um, the game from from the coaching perspective, that I hadn't seen before, um, coming into contact with those two guys, and suppose I've got to give them a lot of credit for um, opening up my eyes to to coaching. And from that point on, even though I was playing, and that was my first and foremost priority, um, wanting to go into coaching um, at that point.
1: Brilliant. You know, what, what was it about coaching, in particular? You thought, yeah, I'm going to take you know take a step down that path because obviously, you know, you talked about your experiences as a player, and obviously you know, having some mentors in some capacity. Um, and, and I'd love to get into a bit more of that later on down the line. But really, what was it about coaching I felt, you know what, I'll, I'm going to have a crack at this and, you know, I really enjoy this about it.
2: Yeah, pr- probably like um, a lot of people are getting into coaching. It, 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 it was my, my, my passion. And I think if you can make your passion your job, then you never work a day in your life. And um, so, so that's definitely the the, the, the overarching uh, reason for when to get into coaching so I was playing part-time football, um, and and when you're part-time, you need a job, and yeah, um, I was very very fortunate to be offered a job. My first job was on a um, oh one second, sorry,
1: There
2: we go. I'm back, sorry. Uh, on a on a on a college scheme, uh, Mark Fogarty uh, was running the Solo College um, um, sixteen to eighteen program, and he, he asked me to be his assistant on that. While, while working alongside him doing um, after-school clubs. And uh, so there's a great chance after, after after getting that first coaching qualification, which Mark was my tutor on, he obviously saw something in me, offered me that job. And it gave me a real good insight at a really young age into into what coaching was. And I learned a lot from Mark. And yeah, I've got a lot to be grateful for him for, 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 for giving me that opportunity. And um, yeah, I haven't looked back from that point, really.
1: Brilliant. You know, I just want to kind of, you know, move things along a bit so obviously eventually you've, you've stepped into football gone to coaching I want to fast forward a little bit towards your time at Birmingham. you said you, you know you came in there as a part-time coach what was yeah. the I guess your first impressions of going into I guess a more should we call it an elite, elite setting you know what, what, was that daunting for you was that you know what were, this, what were the challenges that, and I guess the differences you felt from that situation
2: yeah 100% I mean I remember how it came about, uh, the academy manager at the time was a guy called Richard Stevens. And we took a team from the development center that I was doing with Mark in, uh, to play against them. And, and, um, that was when I first got in contact with Richard. And he asked me after that to, to go in and yeah, hundred percent. It was daunting. It was, uh, challenging. It was exciting. Um, I knew it was going to be a test of my coaching credentials and, and was it going to be good enough? Um, full of self doubt at that point. And, um, You know, I 100% learned on the job. I wasn't probably ready at that stage to 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 be as effective as coach as I could. But the club are really really good in terms of what they the platform they can offer. They you know even way back then lots of CPD events, lots of good coaches um, to work alongside and to learn off. And um, you know very very quickly it's 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 an environment where you're going to improve if you're willing to put the hours in. And uh, it was long hours you know, alongside a, a semi-pro um, playing, playing career as well. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, taking sessions Saturday morning then driving all over the country to play in the afternoon and then Sunday, uh, taking the team all over the country. So, long hours, seven days a week, sometimes 18, 19 hours a day, you know, planning and preparing and delivering sessions. But when you look back, it really gives you the grounding, uh, which 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 sets set, set you up for a career in the game.
1: Brilliant. You know, obviously, your career did obviously develop a lot more as, we, as you, I mean, you spent, what, 15 odd years at Burnley, didn't
2: you? Yes. Yeah, and I think you, 16 years in total.
1: Yeah, eventually, as you went through that pathway, going from part-time, you know, eventually getting a full-time role and eventually, you know, uh, to what some would call, you know, quite a prestigious position, especially within the EPP right now as a senior lead yes. uh, for the professional development phase. So what what was that like? You know, what, what, what were the, uh, uh, I guess... What was the ambition behind that? And you know, in terms of moving into the PDP, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions nowadays around whether coaches are you know best fit for the PDP, and you know, a lot a lot of conversation around actually people tend to go down the PDP route because it can be financially more rewarding, yeah. Um, and yeah, not necessarily where coaches are best suited in terms of themselves. So, you know, yeah. what what was that for you? What, how, what what was the decision? Where did that decision come from? To kind of pursue that role?
2: Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really. And I've never gone into it with a plan, uh, but it'll, having played four hundred non-league games, I really, I really um, felt at home um, in first-team dressing rooms. I it, it felt at home dealing with um, older players. So, um, without a doubt, I, I can't deny that I did always want to work with uh, at, at, at the higher age groups. Um, really enjoyed my time through the, the with the younger guys as well but yeah 100% I, you know um, I, I just felt that and I still do I think that my skill set is with um, you know the PDP phase and, and first team players um, and obviously you know I, I did that role for a long time and, I, and I'm still doing that and I really really enjoy that but I enjoy anything to do with football but yeah I definitely um, you know um, was was pleased to be offered uh, the role with the reserve team when it was offered to me. Was I ready? Age 30? Probably not. I remember my first game feeling very very daunted. You know um, I can remember we, we played against Aston Villa It's my first game, a reserve game and we pretty much had a first team out. Villa pretty much had a first team out. Albeit behind closed doors at the training there was not many people there but you've got to stand on your own two feet and make decisions and, and be ready to, to handle those guys and I would have made loads and loads of mistakes but um, over the years, I felt I grew into the role, and uh, but the biggest thing is, you know, it's 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 for me, and, and the best advice I give any young coach is um, never at any stage think you've made it, never at any stage do you think you you, you, um, you know it all, because I don't think anyone ever knows it all, and every single day, I used to go in fresh, uh, thinking today could be my last day, really, perhaps the wrong way of putting it, the wrong way of feeling, but I, I did always felt very grateful for being at a, at, at the club and, and at that level um, and all, always knowing that you've got to be at your best every single day to to survive really.
1: I think that's quite interesting you talk then I've spoken to a number of coaches over the last few months in particular where they you know that idea of going as if every day is your last because you know then you, I think you become you show a lot more gratitude for what you've got and the opportunities you've been given you know just on that, then you know, I'm interested to know, kind of off the back of that, how does that, does that mentality play at all a part in your coaching philosophy, and what exactly is your coaching philosophy?
2: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, I think you have to adapt your coaching philosophy for the role that you're in. Um, but at the heart of that, yes, it would be your own coaching principles and and, and your own morals as a person. Um, so when you're in, when I whenever I've been in the development role, uh, I think number one. It's got to be for me player centered, so everything's about the player. Um, I learned from an early age I, I, when I was when I was working in younger age groups in the in the, in the, in the dome when I first went in there at, at Blues, and you've got all the parents on the side, you've got all the coaches lined up, uh, the senior coaches watching you. I know that I coached a lot to impress the parents and to impress the, the coaches on the outside, watching, looking in, um, without giving us as much thought or attention I think to actually the players development and over time I realised that that wasn't the way that it should be done and I think with more confidence in yourself and with more um, understanding of of what's needed you realise that if you're not coaching with a player at the centre of everything and understanding each player's individual needs um, you're not doing the best by them and and you're not doing the best job you could do so player centred is the big one so which players need what um from a technical, from a tactical, from a psychological, from a social point of view, and, and really digging into that and, and, and ensuring that in your session planning, that's all included. Um, but again, probably the, the big overarching thing for me is that yes, they're all there to play football, but number one, they're all human beings, and and they're all coming from different backgrounds, different um, to be turned up uh, with different issues, with different different uh, problems, and, and putting the, the person as a centre, rather than the player, perhaps. Sure. Um but yeah, in terms of a playing style, um, you know, again, uh, got to be very, very flexible in that, I think. But without a doubt, the more touch the player gets, the more they're going to develop as a young player. And, um, you know, getting the ball on the ground and playing for the thirds is without a doubt the way I like to play, see the game played.
1: Sure. And just on that, then, you know, you talk here about, you know, the ball on the ground and whatnot. Do you feel that maybe that there's a risk of maybe doing too much of that, that we're kind of going to change the, the guess, types of players that are now going to be developed going forward? Because obviously, you know, pretty much every academy up and down the country has, you know, a similar way of playing in that respect. Would yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, what, what, what you think that, you know, obviously you've, you've had a number of years in the game, you know, working more specifically in the PDP. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on the idea that actually, is this really going to produce the types of players that require required at, across the different levels of the pyramid? Or is it only gearing players towards the top end? And realistically, how many of them are actually then going to, you know, step into that realm?
2: Oh, I think it's spot on. Yes, I think it's spot on. I think, I think, um, you know, you you have to create players. There's there's probably I'm plucking a stat out, out of thin air here, but how many teams in England um, at first team level play through the thirds with the ball on the ground? 100% of the time. It, the, you, you could count them on one hand. Um, so without a shadow of a doubt, however you like to see the game played, you your job as, as a youth developer is to prepare players for a career in a professional game. Uh, so from a, from a technical and tactical point of view, I think you've got to expose them to um, every single way of playing uh, and, and, and to try and make uh, those players as effective as they can so they can go on and, and, and get a career. If you're not doing that, for those players I don't think you're setting them up for a career and you're setting them up to fail in a way um, because I think you're right I think um, we're very very good now within academies and within clubs at, at playing for the thirds and keeping the ball on the floor and, but my point as to how many teams at first team level actually do that I think you're limiting yourself if you don't create a, a player that can play holistically and can can play longer passes mm. as well as shorter passes
1: No definitely because you can't kind of, just to kind of lead on from that then you know what obviously your initial role at Birmingham was coming in uh, working well, working part time but eventually moving into the reserve team setup mm. obviously that you know that ceased to exist at some point and obviously when the EPPP came in and you yes. had the 18s and then the 23s and well, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how well prepared the players are now coming out of a 23 setup as opposed to maybe the old style reserves reserve setup
2: um I think it very much depends on the club yes and it depends on the coaches that, that the players are exposed to um, I, I, as I said I think if you if you if you play uh, play and expose those players to um, all of the game styles so different formations different game styles um, then you, you know it, you, you're gonna expose the players to what they're going to face at first team level which is really really important um, I've, I've been lucky enough to work under a lot of managers um at Birmingham, some real, real good guys that I'd class as friends now and, and 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 mentors and the best ones really um let let me get on with the role. Um didn't did not did not want to didn't didn't want our team to always play exactly how the first team play but definitely wanted the players to have an understanding of the, the 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 types of football that they're gonna come and face at first team level and um I think we were successful at that. I think we had a, a, a number of players that made it through to the first team and a number of players that made it through to the first team with the first team playing different styles. You know, um, you know I, I don't have to name names, but we've, we've had managers that have wanted players to, to play a much more direct style. We've had play, uh, managers that have wanted um, players to play a little bit more uh, academy-type football and play for the thirds. And, whatever the manager's wanted, we've been able to produce at Birmingham and uh, get players through to the team, which, is, which has been a real big uh, favourite in, in the caps for everyone within the academy department.
1: Brilliant. You know, so kind of just moving on from that, then, you know, would you mind just, you know, before we move on to your current role, I just want to know a little, you know, help, maybe help the listeners earn, learn a little bit more about the day-to-day of what a senior PDP coach would be doing in an academy environment.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so, it's, it's it usually... Um, getting in about 8 o'clock in the morning and then y- y- your first task really would be to have a multidisciplinary meeting, so within that meeting you'd have um, um, yourself as the lead you'd have then assistant coaches you'd have the goalkeeper coach, you'd have the physio, you'd have um, a sports scientist uh, you'd have the analysis guy and you'd really set out the plan for the day um, so we- we'd have had a conversation the day before about what we were going to do in training. We've obviously working off a curriculum. So everybody sort of knows the topic we're working up, but you'd really at that point drill down um, into the detail of the day and how the day is going to look for each individual player, which players need um, anything else specific away from the group session, who was going to do what, uh, how you were going to do it and the timings of all of that. Um, so invariably it would be then um, nine, you know, from from sort of nine o'clock till ten o'clock, you might have some more individual meetings with players. You might there might be a group meeting, there might be uh, a team unit meeting. Um, you'd you'd go out, you'd set the pitches up. Usually, get out on the pitch about ten thirty if the session started at eleven o'clock. You'd be waiting for the players with everything ready to go. Um, the players would usually have um, an activation session or a, a gym strength session uh, before the session, and then the main session would take place at eleven o'clock till. Approximately half past 12, work the players hard. Um, most of the time, the young players so they were getting plenty of work into them. It'd then be lunch. Um, then in the afternoon, it, it, it'd usually be going out for a, a second session on the grass or it might be another a further gym session or it might be um, an analysis session on a day where the, the physical loading was going to be reduced a little bit. And, and that would really be the day. And then we'd, we'd have a meeting again with the multidisciplinary team at the end of the day. Um, to 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 um assess the day to see where we could um, improve to see how how each individual player got on we I, I the way i used to run it we'd also grade the players each day um with a traffic light system so uh, red amber green as to, as to as to where we thought they were at on that day um a little bit of planning for the following day and then you to depart half four five o'clock
1: yeah quite an intense day and i think you know sometimes i think it's good to get an insight on that you know that day-to-day um, outlook because i think a lot of coaches think it's just simply just show up deliver your session shoot off and you know i think it's really important that we do i guess have a clearer understanding certainly for those that are listening and watching this that might be thinking about path similar to yours and going into a role like that later down the down the line in their own journeys um
2: absolutely
1: thank you for that rich you know i just want to kind of now obviously take you to your current role um mm-hmm. assistant manager at soli holes is it
2: Yes, it is. Yeah,
1: yeah. You mind just telling us a little bit about that? And, you know, um, you know, you talked about how that came about initially. Um, what you know, what does an assistant manager do at that level, and what you know, what does that entail?
2: Um, it's a good question. The, the um, assistant manager role—it's—it's—it's it's, it's all it comes in really. You—you—you're obviously uh, without that first team level, you—you—you're you, the manager's eyes and ears a little bit. So um, it's 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 planning yeah. for what you for how you're going to go about things with the manager and 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 the other coaching staff and the other staff, um, yeah, and just just supporting whatever the manager uh, puts in place for the training program. It's it's uh, there's a lot of conversations. We've got a sporting director at the club that we we talk to. We have owners that, as I said, we we're just on a technical board meeting there. So it's supporting the manager with. Um, with all of that, it's, it's, um, it's been there for the manager at any time he needs you. It's um, reporting back on game days, any, anything t- tactical uh, that, that you see that, that, that you think need to make changes. It's um, very much a supporting role for the manager mm-hmm. and also to, to, to make sure the smooth running of the whole programme at the, at, at the club. And obviously at first team level, that involves recruitment also. Recruitment's a big part of it. Uh, we've had to recruit a number of players we've had to recruit a number of staff and tapped into a lot of contacts um, from, 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 from my experiences at Birmingham and, and Aston Villa to, to ensure we've got a really really good staff at the club and um, some really really good players as well and um, I'm really enjoying the role and uh, things are going well so far so hopefully we can keep that going
1: Hopefully so just a couple of things I want to touch on that, You know, right at the top of that you started with the assistant managers almost the eyes and ears for the manager now I'm just, I just want to probe on that a little bit more and just ask so, do you find yourselves ever having a situation where it's almost like a good cop, bad cop situation? Um, obviously, you, you know, in some ways, you often hear that the assistant manager tends to be more, uh, more admired by the players in some ways. Um, you know, on, 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 I guess, on a more down-to-earth, you know, because it's, it's almost like, well, you're not, you're not quite the manager, but you know, so yeah. they, you don't have the same, I guess, uh, fears of how they might be around you as they might be around the manager, if that makes sense. Um, not to say that you're not as equally as important in that respect. Um, do you ever find do you ever find that, that, that having to you know pick up a certain persona around them, or just to kind of balance off what the manager might be uh, giving off as well?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's spot on. Yes, I think um, I think the manager uh, usually is the one that keeps the distance a little bit more from the player. So when you're an assistant manager or first team coach, you could be. Um, a little bit closer to the players, definitely. And when I say the eyes and ears, don't get me wrong. It's 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 not reporting back everything you see and hear. You know, you, you, players will come to you naturally more than than, than the manager. And I suppose um, over time and your experience, you know, you filter um, what's really really important and what the manager needs to know, and, and also filtering out stuff that really you don't need to trouble the manager with. Because imagine the manager's uh, phone is is constantly ringing. The manager's um, constantly, uh, people want his time, media, uh, players, everything. And it's it's making sure, I suppose, that his loading isn't too much so that um, you know they can really focus on the important side um, of their job, which is ultimately performance on a Saturday afternoon. So it's trying to take a lot of the um, the white noise away, I suppose, for want of a better phrase, from the manager, um, to ensure that everything that's been fed back into the manager is just focused on improving performance, uh, whether it's a Tuesday night or a Saturday.
1: You know, just a little bit more on that, then, you know, you talked there about, you know, supporting the manager, but I want to go back through your roles. And obviously, we, you know, we don't really touch on the Aston Villa role too much, but, you know, your time, your time before, you're working in, in, you know, semi-pro and non-league um, roles, and now moving into this current role, what have all these roles really taught you about leading others? And, you know, you talked there a little bit about, it, about, being player centred, but you know, not forgetting the fact that these these players are are people and human beings first. You know, mm. what, over that mm. time, what has that really taught you about leadership and how to maybe adapt that? And if you, you know, could you provide us any examples where you felt you had to um, really go out of your way to change your approach just to kind of support a, a player in that respect?
2: Yeah, um, I don't think you last long in anything. Yes, if I'm honest, if 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 you're uh... You know, you, you, you can be involved in things, but I don't think you have, um, what's the word, uh, stickability or, you know, durability. If, yeah. if you're not a good person, I think, number one, you've got to try and be a good person to people because you soon get found out. And football's a village. If, if you're not, um, if you're someone that is isn't there for somebody when they need you, or if you're not somebody that cares about people, uh, people are going to work you out very, very quickly. And I think football... I don't think a lot of people external to football realise, you know, we, everyone knows it's it's kicking a ball around on a field, um, but the pressures that come with it for players. And let me give you an example: young players. Let's 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 take an eighteen-year-old to get released from a football club. He might have been at that club since he's seven or eight, so he'd have had fantastic opportunities. He'd have had fantastic chance to stay fit. He'd have had fantastic, um, you know, opportunities to play with good players on good pitches and to to travel and to to see good academies. But with that, everyone's expecting that young man to to become a freshman football player. He's got people at school, his friends, his family. And when you when when all of a sudden you realize as a young player, because I've been there, that ain't quite going to go to plan. It's not quite happening. I think the hardest thing is fielding the questions from people. What's going wrong? What have you done wrong? Why has that happened?" And we all know it's so competitive that, for the majority of players at that age, it isn't going to happen, and I think I think even the best ones, you know, and have been very very fortunate to work with Premier League players, Nathan Ridman, Jack Butler, demari Grace. If you want them to respect you, I honestly think that they want to see how you deal with the ones that don't make it as well. And I stay in touch with a load of players that are now not young footballers that are now working in factories or um, or are working in a in a bar or doing any of a number of jobs because I care about them and I think I think that that's um, first foremost to the person I think that's really really important to realize it's not all about the ones that do go on and, and, and make it and I think if if, if if coaches realize that and and you've got a strong relationship with someone regardless of whether whether or not they make it be a good person and um, and, and, and and treat them as you would like to be treated and you you'll, you'll last a long time in the game You
1: know, it's kind kind of off the back of that then you know talked there about how you maybe are adopting a leadership role for yourself Um, but right you know if we go right towards the start of the conversation you talked there about having mentors you know uh, for yourself Mm -hmm. and I'm just curious you know a bit more about that in terms of you know over the course of your journey you know have you had any major influences Um, but more specifically you know those mentors you speak of what are some of the biggest lessons you've kind of taken from them
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app
2: Yeah, I think I think um, if anyone takes anything from this podcast today, yes, sir, um, I, I, I would I would advise them to actively, if they haven't got one that comes to mind, actively try and find a mentor or a number of mentors. I've been so lucky over my years to probably be able to tap into the knowledge and experience of a number of people. Uh, and, and and that really is I've been fortunate for that because of my job role as, as reserve team manager I've had 10 managers you know household names and some really really good people and people that I, as I said would class a friend that I can pick the phone up to now that without that opportunity at Birmingham or Aston Villa I probably wouldn't have been able to so I'm really really fortunate in that in that respect but what, one of my mentors is, is, is Jim who I work with now Jimmy Shan he's he, you know we, we, we're both the same age but I, I first met him when I went in at Birmingham part time and um, but he's 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 someone who I learn of every single day somebody that is uh, got a real real sharp technical and tactical football brain um, and what's impressed me also is 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 how his um his his man management skills as well so he obviously took the role on at west bromwich albion as first team manager for a while and did really really well his win percentage was right up there and missed out on on getting to wembley with with that west brom team in the narrowest of margins and since I've been at Solihull him day in day out, I've, as I said, learned from him every single day in session design, uh, session management, the speed at which he sees the game, and learning to 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 to, to become like that as well is um, I'm developing every single day. And then, and then some of the guys from Birmingham, Chris Houghton, You know, I'm very very fortunate. Chris was only at the club for a year, but in that year. Uh, he managed the, the 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 squad players, so number twelve to twenty four, better than any manager I've ever seen in my life. Um, I never knew of any players that were unhappy, even when they're out the team. Um, he made sure that those lads were well looked after. He made sure that those lads felt part of everything that was going on. And um, you know, to the one to eleven usually look after themselves. It's it's the ones that are out the team that can, that can cause you problems. And that was something I really really took from Chris. And Chris is very very uh, very very accommodating to me. I can pick the phone up to him and ask him anything at any time. And working with Chris at that time was a guy called Ewan Chester, who was the recruitment guy uh, for Rangers when they won 28 trophies, I think, in in 10 or 12 years. And again, Ewan's become a really, really good friend of mine and somebody who I can pick the phone up to. Alex McLeish gave me the job. And and again, Alex is always there at the end of the phone for me. And then more recently, Harry Redknapp came in and, you know, Harry's a legend in the game. And, you know, in terms of man management and the way he goes about his stuff um was was excellent Gary Monk again the same really really good very very accommodating to me and gave me loads of 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 really really good tactical analysis and, and 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 training sessions and 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 information on how to operate and how to work and then from a mental side I've become close with a guy called Drew Broughton who got years of experience as a player and he's now doing a lot on the mental health side of the game with with players and uh you know, how to deal with fear. And I think fear is a big yeah, one. I've a players.
1: on the show in a few weeks time. So oh,
2: fantastic. The, guy, the guy's an absolute legend and uh, loads to offer. And, um, you know, I think there'd be uh, people be queuing up to get him involved with them. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. Um, thank you for that, Richard. I just want to kind of, you know, move things on a little bit. And I'm just, you know, you have had a lot of time in the game. Um, I still consider you relatively young for the amount of experience that you have got. Um, <laughs> But well, I'm just curious to know, and obviously, you with all that experience, what's inspired you to keep on going? Um, and, you know, kept you motivated to kind of really keep pushing on in this journey.
2: Um, the number one uh, thing that's, that, that that motivates me, uh, Yassi, is seeing um, young players break into the first team and and and, and change their lives. Really, um, that, that they're the standout moments. I mean. It, it, when, when Nathan Redmond uh, scored against National at St. And Andrews in front of 30,000 people under the lights and then ran over to the side and he's celebrating with Mitchell Hancocks from the academy, Fraser Kerr from the academy, um, amongst others. It, it, it was, you know, real goosebump moment. I was sat next to his mum. I'd been given the opportunity when he made his first team debut of ringing his mum and telling her that he was going to make his debut. And those moments, you know, even all the way back then, I, I cling to and uh, they motivated to keep going. You know, from a youth development point of view to keep working with young players and 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 to keep going. Also, the likes of Wes Hardin, a young player called Wes Harding, he's left Birmingham now, he's at Rotherham. But Wes was in the in, in the under 23 team for two and a half years. And most people say, Oh, that's too long, he's never ever gonna make it. But every day he grafted, he worked, he worked at his craft, he asked questions, his attitude was exemplary. He was the first one out onto the training pitch, last one back in, first one in analysis sessions, put his hand up and asked questions and a lot of people, I think, wrote him off, but he got given an opportunity, and he grabbed it with both hands. And he was a silver medalist who came through to become, you know, an established championship player. And um, you know, put Charlie Lakin in the same bracket as him. He's, he's on loan currently at Ross County, but he's grafting Josh Cogley at Birmingham now. Same, same sort of ilk, and fantastic lads that motivated because of their work ethic, because of their drive, because of their ability to um, come back from setbacks and to and to prove the doubters wrong and to um, work really, really hard in adversity. And, you know, those lads have really, really made a career for themselves um, with ability, but, you know, when other people would have doubted them. And on top of that, then it's also, you know, currently now working with players that at first team level at every day are putting their bodies on the line to, um, to, to win three points to, to, to shoot the team up the table, to, to ensure that the team lives up to its expectations. And, uh, you know, you sometimes see them in, at, at this level that they go out on a training pitch and they're strapped up to the nines and, you know, it's hurting them and they're going through pain and, you know, to work with these boys and to work with these, these guys. Um, I know there's harder jobs out there without a shadow of a doubt, but, you know, I don't think, I think people outside of the game do underestimate the mental challenges that the players have to go through. And to be on that journey with players is really, really motivating. And to see, um, things come into place and and and, and to get the three points or to see young players developing and coming on it's that that they really are the, the motivating things for me.
1: Brilliant and you talk there a lot about some of the trials and tribulations that you know players can go through. Um just you know from that you know, I'm curious to know you know through that journey you know you spent quite a long time in, in the game already as a coach and um, I'm yeah. sure and I hope there'll be many more years to come. But I'm curious to know for yourself then what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had and you know it might be something that you're currently still dealing with um mm. if so, you know, what, what are your plans to try and overcome that? Or it might be something that you have overcome before. And you know, would you mind sharing some some insight around that for us?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, I suppose um the, the number one in football and whether it's at youth development level or whether it's at first team level, um if you lose a number of games in succession and, and, and I'm keen to stress that even at youth development level, you will start doubting yourself, um, you know, and I've had whole seasons where I've, I remember with an under 14 team, I think we lost nearly every single game. And if anyone tells you at that point results, I felt like absolute crap, you know, it was, it was terrible. It was the worst feeling ever. And even though the focus is on those players development and people keep telling you that, there's also people that you know, even in jest, will tell you, oh, "It's you in the game." And I think, and obviously at first, you know, invariably you're going to get sacked for that. Um, and you look inside and you doubt, and you and you think, right, okay, what do I need to do? What can we do? And I think in those moments, you've got to be really, really tough, and you've got to you've got to be really, really creative, tough with yourself, and and make sure that you've left no stone unturned. And um, so that would be. One thing that you, that you come up against. Also, I think in football, you know, um, it's very very competitive, and it can be lots of politics involved as well. Yasser, and again, you've just got to be true to yourself, and I think you've got to uh, put your head above the parapet and just um, express your opinion and express your opinion, knowing and it may well not be what people always want to hear, but as long as you're being true to yourself and and always come back to being a good person, then you can sleep soundly at night, knowing that you're. Um, saying what you're saying for the right reasons to move things forward and to, and, to, and to help and and making sure that you never ever ever step over anybody else to do that but if you if you are um, if someone asks you a question just be as honest as you can and you know um that, that that that's a really really big one because you know that's all you can ever do for me and if people aren't happy with that then you know then you'll either move on or or, or, or you have to change you know and, and 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 they're things that will definitely young coaches will have to come across uh, during their career um things can happen externally at football and you've got to go in and paint your face a little bit sometimes you know you might be a um an illness in the family it might be um mental troubles troubles with kids you've got to go in to work and you can't carry those issues with you um you've got to be be the right you've got to be the the leader at times when it when you might be internally struggling with that and just on that one, it's also good not to internalize those things and ensure that at that point you speak to people and don't be afraid to speak to people and don't be afraid to show your emotions. But it, it, it is sometimes very, very hard when, when you've got a leader session, um, when, when all you want to do is be somewhere else at times. You know. So I've gone through all those things, and I'm sure a lot of people are relating to these things, and they're only natural and they're normal because we're all human beings, number one. Um, but you know, in terms of that, I think it's a real, real big one at the minute, mental health. Um, don't be afraid to show your emotions. Don't be afraid to talk to people about about anything. Don't internalize everything, and um, you know, because there's 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 nothing really that other people haven't been through, and it'll help share your burden.
1: Definitely, you know, you talk there about that word emotion. Um, I just want to pull away at something there that you know. So one of the emotions I want to talk about is frustration. Um, mm. I'm sure that you know over the years that you've been coaching, you've seen some moments or some. Things that re, you know, reoccurring across different environments and you know, through different coaches, you know. So I guess in, in, in that yeah. in that case, in the sense of bugbears, what are some of the bugbears that you've you know you've you've got when it comes to coaching and that cause you frustration in that respect?
2: Um, w- w- because you mentioned frustration, my mind straight away goes to young players playing in the reserves, seeing no future for themselves. So. It doesn't take long for them, you know, the, the the summer months of preseason training to and the realities to hit in, that there there might be now age nineteen and twenty. They haven't all got the mentality of a Wes uh, of, of a Wes Harding or a Charlie Lakin or a Josh Cogley where they're willing to grind every single day, and it becomes tough for them, um, and they get frustrated. And I think it's really really important number one to recognise that frustration in them, and to um, sit them down and to, to to have a number of chats about how to manage this frustration, how to manage it into a positive ensure that it Zoom focuses on what the big picture is, which is being a um, professional football player for a number of years um, because a lot of players also they don't deal with that frustration they um, adapt to victim mentality and they're, they're the only ones that suffer their game um, goes backward. A lad who is currently at Walsall and, and absolutely tearing it up there. Wes McDonald. Um, he had a lot of this, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying it. You know, under twenty three level with Birmingham, and um, he, he, he he's always been supremely talented. But he he it, he couldn't see a way through at Birmingham, and um, for a while he was standing still. And um, I'm not taking any credit for it. But he, 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 you know, we did have a number of conversations about working hard. Number of conversations about um, dealing with frustration and 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 controlling the controllables really. It's like, if the manager isn't picking you, for the first team, it's out of your control. The only thing that's in your control is to train as well as you can, develop as well as you can, and put yourself in that shop window. And it didn't happen for Wes at Birmingham, but there's no one happier than me that he's managed to um, now become a player that, as well as being supremely talented, works his absolute socks off. And um, I never see him frustrated anymore in the pitch he works really really hard gets up and down the pitch and does his thing in the final third and he's having a great career and it's fantastic and refreshing and again he's motivated to see um that happening um but the bugbears yeah i suppose um interference as a coach you know you want to coach you want to coach your team in, in academies there's so many voices and so many people uh, and you have to manage that and 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 learn to um Accept other people are going to have opinions on your teams. Other people are going to have opinions on your coaching, on your players, and you've got to try and, um, in a mature manner, as I said, deal with all that and and, and ensure that what you, what you're, you know, listen to the stuff that you believe to be right, and perhaps park some of the stuff that that that, that isn't right, and um, you know, in, in a manner that doesn't come across as rude and. And just keep moving yourself and your players forward. Uh, there's no good, you never get anywhere arguing with people constantly. Um, you get, you're going to have disagreements, and that's, that's all well and good. We've got to try and find some common ground with that. And, um, you know, try and always, as I said, put the best uh, for the player um, at the number one if you do have issues with other coaches or other people within the club, because it never goes smoothly. I speak to people at 20 or 30 clubs, and they're all going for the same things. I oh, don't agree with him there, don't agree with him there it's a game of opinions and as long as the player comes first then it doesn't matter if you disagree with somebody else um, or you don't get on with someone else, you're not going to like everybody as long as you're putting the players first and listen, that happened at Birmingham, It's people over the years that I didn't get on with uh, as much as other people, you know fortunately they were very much a minority but whatever those differences were we always put the player first and um, we always managed to get players through and you know look back on those times and you know to be honest there's nobody I wouldn't shake hands with and you know I'd always move forward and you know, have a drink with anybody that I was there with and, yeah, just try and move forward for the best for everybody.
1: Definitely. You need to talk about looking back at that time. And I want to kind of just, you know, I want us to wind back that clock a little bit further back now, you know, right back to the start of your journey then, um, Rich. And, you know, if if you had an opportunity to go back right at the start of your coaching journey and have a conversation with yourself, what would be one of the key messages that you'd want to give yourself?
2: Um, The one that springs to mind is one I've already mentioned a little bit. Yes, I'd never ever ever coach for yourself or for other people. Coach, for, coach for the players always. Um, I don't know if I painted the picture of it earlier on well enough, but we used to coach uh, my sessions on Monday, Wednesday, Saturday morning in the dome, really close space at Birmingham, not the biggest of areas. And like I said, it it seemed like it was wrong with parents one side, wrong with the academy manager and the other staff on the other side. And I used to put sessions on that would look great and for the parents and the, and and. And, and the coach is probably to make me look as good as I could be. And looking back, I would say, don't do that ever, ever, ever. Make sure, don't worry how many parents are on the side watching. Don't worry who's watching on touchline there as a coach. Just make sure your session is as good as can be for each and every one of those individual players. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. And I probably had two years of that where I was coaching, making it look lovely, all singing, all dancing probably, you know, and that was my lack of experience. And, uh, that's, that's the biggest number one message. Um, I'd give to a young coach. The second one is don't take too much to heart. You're going to get knockers. You're going to get people, um, parents. Why has my son come off coaches? Why have you picked him? Um, somebody saying, you know, you might apply for a new role. You're not good enough for that. Don't take it to heart crack on. It. It's a very, very competitive business. One day you're going to be top of the tree. The next day, you'll be at the bottom of the tree. Stay humble, stay true to yourself. And, I'm a big believer that good things will happen to good people.
1: Definitely, you know, you talk there about you know that that I, that situation you get with the parents. Sometimes, even putting on those pretty sessions, sometimes it is to make yourself look better, and more so because you don't want the parents looking at you thinking, like, what is this guy up to?" Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a conversation I've been having with a few coaches over over the last few months. Um, you know, so one of the things I do, I actually uh, I work in coach education as well, delivering courses as well. And the conversations I have with some of the some of the learners on those courses, you know, you you've got to get away from this idea of the session needs to look good. Absolutely. Because if it looks if it's looking too clean, then, then is anything actually be is anyone actually being challenged? Um, Definitely. You know, you got you got to find the right balance of right. It, it might end up looking good, but it certainly shouldn't be looking at like that at the start of the session.
2: Absolutely. I think I think uh, Eddie Jones is the one, isn't it? That's, that's boarded into. Um, into the, this sort of uh, coaching um, fraternity over here about coaching chaos. Mm. Uh, you think, it, you know, you think of your games on, on, I don't know if you played out in your street, yes, when you were growing up, but I certainly did and Those games were chaotic, but yeah. how many good players have come from, from playing out there every single day, you know, it, it, 20 aside and mm. uh, jumpers for goalposts and no offsides and no rules and people running everywhere. And I'm not saying every training session needs to look like that, but, Without a shadow of a doubt, you know, um, it, it, the sessions can't be robotic. It, yeah. Football's not played like that and the players can't be robots. And I think if you can be really, really creative to, to ensure sessions are um, structured but chaotic, you're going to create um, more street players, which are the ones that we're after, really, aren't
1: we? Definitely, 100%. So, you know, just Rich, you you've gone back to giving yourself that message now. You now we'll fast forward back to the present day working as assistant manager at Solihull Moores. Where did Richard Bill go next from
2: here? Um, hopefully into the Football League with solihull Moores as assistant manager. You know, that's that's uh, everything I'm focusing on at the minute. Um, that's, that's all we want to achieve as a football club. It's a real forward-thinking football club. Again, very, very fortunate to be at that club uh, with Jimmy. So, you know, it's... Uh, so there's a lot of assistant managers, first team coaches out there that uh, are going through the motions and, and, and not learning every single day and not improving every single day. We've got a real, real good culture at the club. Um, other coaches there that, that want to improve and want to learn. And, um, yeah, number one is to uh, get in the football league with Solihull Moors, um, you know, uh, supporting Jimmy. And, uh, further down the line, you know, so I, I, I always get asked, if, Do you want to be a manager? I really don't want to be a manager um i really really enjoy my role as assistant manager i've enjoyed i've been a first team coach before i've really really enjoyed being under 23 coach i've really really enjoyed being under 18 coach i've really enjoyed under 14 coach and honestly if i could for the rest of my life um have a full time job within within professional football or semi-professional football at at, at, at any age group right now i'd be happy with that i I honestly would and i'm not i'm not just saying it I've, I've, I've gone on record here as saying I do enjoy working at the, the older age groups, whether that's under 18s and 23s or first team. Uh, I think that's where my skill set lies. But if someone said to me, you know, uh, if I come out of Solihull and there's a job with an under 14 team and, and I'd love it because I love football and, um, you know, I'd am uh, you know, I, I, I I'd, I'd be happy doing that, you know, uh, coaching a group. Um, being out there on the pitch is, is what I'm about. So, yeah, really...
1: Fantastic. You know,
2: haven't some people say you should have a plan? I, I really haven't. You know, right now it's just to get in football league with Solihull as assistant manager.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you know, you, yeah. said, you know, people say you should have a plan. I think um, you know, I was having a conversation the over there. You know, people saying no. The question was, you know, what's the path that you're going to go down? And I'm thinking, well, do, do we need to have a path, or can we let it reveal itself? um just you know, mm. just make sure that we, as you put it, you know, being the best we can, you take each day as it comes and. Whatever role that is in, or whatever capacity it is, live it as if it is your last, um, yeah, your ultimate best, and you know whatever happens happens from there. You know what I mean?
2: Um, no, that's it, and, and yes, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not going uh, to, I'm not going to hide it. Even Let, let's say that, um, you know, there was an opportunity to go in with Jimmy, at a, a, a championship club or Premier League club. That's the ultimate, you know, that is without a shadow of <laughs> doubt, the ultimate. That'd be fantastic, but. I'd, i never ever say I don't want to do that anymore, or I don't want to do that anymore, or I don't yeah. do that anymore. You know, because you, you severely limiting yourself. Then, are you know, you know what this game's like? One day to the next, anything could happen.
1: Hundred percent. So you know, just um, you know, as we start to wind down now, then you know, if I gave you sixty seconds now, just to kind of package away one golden nugget for our listeners and viewers, what would that be?
2: Um, be yourself, without a shadow of a doubt. Don't ever try and be somebody else. You, you can have mentors. Um. And you can learn so much off them as, as hopefully I've alluded to uh, on this podcast, but if you ever try and be them or be something that's not authentic to yourself, you're going to get found out very, very, very quickly. Um, So be yourself would be the number one. Number two would be stay humble. And if you're not humble, try and be humble because again, I think uh, your relationships with people and uh, the way in which you interact, people will, um, warm to much much more if you're humble and also like will happen every single day like I do it I make mistakes every single day you know if you're humble people will forgive you much quicker and they'll accept it. Um I think if you're if you're not humble and you're a little bit arrogant with it and you don't accept when you've made a mistake then people are very very would be very very quick to jump on that. So be yourself and be humble. And the third one would be to be a lifelong learner yes um stay open minded Go on as many courses as you can. Read as many books as you can. um, Speak to as many coaches as you can. Like, coming on here now, I'm already thinking, Do you know what? At at the end of this, I don't know much about it. Yes, I'd I'd like a little chat with you to find out your story, your, you know, and I might be able to learn something from yourself and, uh, you know, everyone's got a story to tell. Be open-minded. Listen to other people. No matter what level they've worked at, no matter who they've worked at, you might be able to take something from them and uh, I think that's all part of that lifelong learner journey.
1: Definitely. and just a again long time in the game already as a coach, um, and hopefully many more years to come. And I don't want to wish away that journey for you, but you know, as you, but let me rephrase the question I was going to ask: When you, I guess, leave an environment or you leave a um, yeah an environment or, or a role, and eventually you know when you hang up your boots in terms of your career as a coach, what will be the legacy that you want to leave behind for those that have been in contact with you along that way?
2: Number one, I'd, I'd like as many people to say he was a good guy. Um, he was a good guy and he always wanted to help me and he was fair. Um, yeah. If, if, if that was said about me, then if I'm honest, I wouldn't really mind what anyone said about my coaching ability or my um, legacy, you know, performance wise. Uh, and, that, and that's the God's honest truth. It sounds, you know, some people might say, oh, it's a bit, holier than now but it, it's true if, if because at, at that point yes, you can sleep at night i think and you know if you always you, you've been a, a good guy and you've and you've you've tried to help people and, and you've been a good person then for me the coaching the results is secondary listen you want to win every game you want to be the best coach there is and i've always strived for that but um you know somebody gave me a great saying the other day and it was uh be the best at everything that requires no talent. And I think if you live by that every day, you're not going to go far wrong, but obviously over the years, hopefully you pick up some talent, you pick up some ability and the stuff you do on a training pitch is really, really important. And you strive to be better at that every single day. But in answer to your question, definitely if, if my legacy was, he was a good guy who always tried to help anyone he came in contact with, I'd rest easily.
1: Fantastic. Rich, just want to thank you again for your time today. It's been an awesome insight for me in terms of your career and your journey. I'm sure it'll be the same for the listeners and viewers um, hopefully, you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I really um, have. On that note, you know, if there is any listeners or viewers out there that want to maybe uh, learn a little bit more about you, or, or maybe you know, ask you some questions directly around some of the stuff that we've been yeah. discussed in this or beyond, um, is there someone that they can get in touch with you, maybe on social media or anything like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not massive on social media, but uh, I'm happy to give my email address out. Um, it's rbealy1 at me.com, so that's r-b-e-a-l-e-y one at me.com um, I'm on Instagram, it's something like at Richard Beale or something, I'm not 100% sure what it is, and Twitter uh, at the Nick Mole Cup, I do a charity event for a friend of mine that unfortunately uh, commits suicide called Nick Mole and uh, that is my Twitter handle um, at the Nick Mole Cup, so yeah if, if people want to find me and get in touch with me uh, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn as well uh, feel free and I'm, I'm happy to help in any way
1: need to get that Instagram on point, man. we got we're in the lockdown. You're listening. know what Rich Beal was up, <laughs> up to, man.
2: Give me one second, I'll get you what it is exactly. You got a second, hang on. <laughs> go for it. I'm terrible, you know? Right. Um
1: everyone's gonna be following your story now, man.
2: Yeah, hang on. I can't even find what it is. Right, here it is. Uh yeah, it's Richard.beal. There you go. There
1: you go, Richard.beal. Hashtag what does Rich get up to during lockdown? <laughs>
2: well, Brilliant Gasser.
1: Thank you again for today. Look, it's been very, very insightful for me, and I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it. enjoyed it as much as I have. Um,
2: Thanks so much for asking me. My wish pleasure. You
1: a, wish you a great, uh, you know, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I'm sure we'll be in touch very soon.
2: Brilliant. Thanks, Yasa. Much appreciated. Right. Bye bye.
1: Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app